Greetings, everyone, and welcome to the Innocence Redeemed podcast. I'm your host, Ray Bergman, and this week's episode is a continuation of the series titled Judgment of Nations. And with me is my good friend, Glenda Lomax, of Just Praise Him Today. This is going to be part two of three in the series, and we've named it Defeating the Enemy's Lies. So in this episode, we're going to talk about those who seek to come to Jesus, but feel they are too far gone, or rather, the enemy has them thinking they are too far gone. We are here to tell you you are not too far gone. We implore you not to give up, but re-examine your faith and counteract what seems to be impossible with the possible in Jesus Christ. It is my prayer that if you are seeking to know where you stand and have concerns about your salvation as a believer, or think that you can't be saved, that you stay tuned to the full show. There will be one more part to the series, and that will be released next week. All right, guys. Jesus bless you. Now, here's the show. Enjoy. Thank you so much for joining me today on Just Praise Him Radio. I'm your host, Glenda Lomax, and my job is to inspire you to a closer walk with Christ. Now, here's the show. Hello, believers. Welcome to the Just Praise Him radio show. I'm your host, Glenda Lomax, and today's show was not originally part of the series that we're working on, but we needed to put this out. So the title of today's show is Judgment of Nations, Part 2, Defeating the Enemy's Lies. You know, we who remain here for any time are going to see a lot of evil transpire. It's going to look like the enemy has won because he's going to be allowed to prevail, the Bible says, for a time. Not forever, just for a time. Even five minutes will be long enough to cause massive destruction, of course, but at least the Lord has put a limit on how long he can prevail since he is, after all, the loser overall in this war. If you look at Daniel 7.25, we can see how long a time might be. And he shall speak great words against the Most High and shall wear out the saints of the Most High and think to change times and laws, and they shall be given into his hand until a time and times and the dividing of time. Now, if a time equals one year, like scholars believe it may may mean, then times, plural, would be two years, and the dividing of time would be like half a year. If you add those together, a time times and half a time, it equals three and a half years or half the tribulation period. So we're going to say that a time may mean a year. The surest way to interpret anything in the Bible is to use the Bible itself as the interpreter for anybody who doesn't know that. So I told you that to tell you this. We are already seeing such evil and perversion that it is sickening in the earth and it will become far, far worse. And as the persecution rises and God's glory and power on us rises at the same time, we will see and likely suffer heartbreaking losses. But it will not last forever. None of this will. We are only passing through down here, which is more than the wicked can say because they never get to leave for heaven. We do. Heaven where there will only be peace. Heaven where we will all be young, slim, and healthy again. Heaven where we will be with our king, the best part of all. Heaven, where we will be fantastically rewarded for every horrible thing we endured down here. In this time, we really need to know how to not get too discouraged, y'all. And I think that's going to become more and more challenging as we go on. 
Even now, we have to fight against losing courage. When God's judgment befalls nations that have turned from him, we need to remember he has not turned from us, his children. This is going to be a message of encouragement for those of you who may be struggling with fear and anxiety where everything is going, and we pray it is a blessing to you. I have with me my good friend Ray Bergman of Innocence Redeemed with me on the show today. Welcome to the show, Ray. Thank you, Glenda, and amen to everything you just said. You know, this is such an important subject to address before we continue with part three of this series, so I'm glad we could get together and talk about the subject of hopelessness and dread, as it would seem many are experiencing that right now. I agree. It's always great having you here, and I could not agree more with what you just said. So how this show came to be is Ray and I were recently talking, and we came to agreement before we put out part three that we needed to talk about a pattern both of us have been noticing. We are noticing that many who believe are losing hope because y'all, let's face it, our world is in bad shape. Nothing is in proper order anymore, and it's become increasingly hostile towards conservatives and especially those of us who believe in Jesus. But there are also some who believe they are too far gone or think they no longer have the right to repent. There seem to be more suicides the past six months or so in the news to me. Essentially, there are more people who are giving up and taking their own lives. And, you know, suicide is what people do when they run out of hope. So before we continue with this series, we wanted to go get on real quick and present to you that no matter how much the enemy has tried to convince you, you are not too far gone. If you are still drawing breath, if you can hear my voice, there is still hope. Now, what would cause people to think that they are too sinful to repent, that the Lord would not help them because they committed this or that sin? Why are they feeling so hopeless? Could this be part of Satan wearing down the saints? Because I'm telling you, a lot of us do feel pretty worn down. Why would he want us worn down and weary? I think part of the answer to that can be found in Galatians 6 verse 9. And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. So if we get weary, as opposed to encouraging ourselves and being less weary, we will reap rewards. So Satan wants to steal our rewards from us or cause us to lose them. Also, he wants us to be weary enough that we stop doing good to others. Let us not be weary in well-doing. And verse 10 goes on to say, As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. So verse 10 shows Satan is especially trying to rob the household of faith, us, the people of faith. You know, in January of last year, Nicole and I did a show about weariness, and she said some very profound things on JPH Radio when we did that podcast. So I want to quote some of what she said then because it makes so much sense, and it is something I myself forget. Here's what my very wise friend said. She said, I've found that God has given me enough faith for today. And if I go past that, it makes me tired and worried. The Bible says that his mercies are new every day. Have you ever thought about that? Why are they renewed daily? Maybe living one day at a time is more effective with our faith than trying to plan for the end of the world. There is a reason why we don't see the future the way he does. We could not handle it. Therefore, it makes sense to live in the present, to trust God for today, and then trust him when tomorrow comes for tomorrow. Think about that. Living one day at a time means we have to have now faith, the kind of faith that's talked about in Hebrews 11.1. 1. 
Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Now faith is faith that is so powerful, things you are believing for begin manifesting right in front of you. God always answers great faith. Would it not, therefore, make more sense to work on having now faith that meets now needs instead of wearing ourselves out worrying, which we're not supposed to do anyway? Yes, Glenda, and having enough faith for the day is key. Just for the day, that is enough to do what the Lord has asked us to do. You know, Jesus told us to work while it's still light, and we need to do our utmost in his strength to carry out his will. You know, I want to present a reality check for everyone, and that is all of us, like you said, Glenda, are feeling tired or worn down to some degree. It escapes none of us, and we need to remember the disciple is not greater than his master. And we reference this when we look to Matthew 10, verse 4, which says, A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. And what this means is, we're not above the Lord when he had to go through these things and he was on the earth. But remember, God is faithful, but we have to be careful not to doubt and keep our hearts and minds fixed on Jesus no matter what the storms of life are bringing or have brought. Psalm 55, verse 22 says, Cast your burden on the Lord, and he shall sustain you. He shall never permit the righteous to be moved. And then to look at another verse, 1 Corinthians 10.13, No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man, but God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape, that you may be able to bear it. And, you know, I don't know how everybody's feeling out there, but I know that each day, there's been a lot of tests and trials going on, at least in the season we're in now. And so you got to watch that. you got to watch the temptations and keep on the armor. You know, what is one of the first things people want to do for comfort? Well, commonly, they turn to drinking, self-medicating, and several other sins we have covered many times before. You know, this is a downward spiral, and it lets in the wrong spirits. So do you all remember what Glenda said about this in being a spiritual war? This is why you not only want to eliminate as much sin out of your life as is possible, but stand firm in faith by saying your prayers. And remember, you're not the only one going through these struggles. Every one of us are. 1 Peter 5. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. And this is all the more reason we have made plea after plea to come in off the worldly playground while there's yet a bit of time, because you want to learn how to put on the armor of God so you can learn how to resist the devil's advances so that you don't fall victim as his prey. And you know, Glenda, you had a word about this very thing concerning the war, the spiritual war, and not praying enough. And I felt this was important to read because it's so true due to the battles we have to fight. The title of the message you had was called Careless. And I'd like to read that. My children, you are so careless with your time. You see prayer as expendable when it has never been more needful. You see your hours as unimportant when just one hour can completely change the course of someone's life. If only you will apply it to intercession. You pray for me to bless you, yet you do not do the things I repeatedly request that you do. Intercede for the lost souls I so wish to save. You neglect these and prayers of protection for yourself and your loved ones even as the world around you grows darker and more evil by the minute. 
And then reference here, you had Job 42, verse 10. And the Lord turned the captivity of Job when he prayed for his friends. Also, the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. 1 Timothy 2.1 I exhort, therefore, that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. James 5.16 Confess your faults to one another and pray for one another that ye may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Ephesians 6.18 Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. John 15.7 If ye abide in me and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. James 5.13 Is any among you afflicted? Let him pray. Is any merry? Let him sing psalms. John 14.13 And whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And just as a side note for listeners, I'm going to link to these uh, messages once the podcast has gone out. Absolutely. Um, I think I had at least several over the years due to the times we live in. I honestly do not think it's possible to live in these times and not feel this to some degree. I'm in agreement with you. And, you know, it's not always going to be a stroll in the park, but let's consider Romans 8.18, which says the troubles we suffer of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Let us also know Romans 12.12, which says rejoice in our confident hope, be patient in trouble and keep on praying. So that fits right in line with that message I just read. And note that it says be patient in trouble. This stands out because James 1.4 says to let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. And then going back to Romans 12.12, it says keep on praying. You know, when we're worn down, then what happens? We struggle. We with stop pr- praying. We stop yeah, praying. We stop praying. We struggle with praise and thanksgiving, and we struggle with prayer at times. And Glinda... You know as well as I do, those patience tests are not always the most fun. So bottom line, we can't let the enemy win. We don't want to give in and raise the white flag. Can troubles get tiresome? Are the times tiresome? Absolutely. But remember, in addition to Romans 8.18, verse 28 says that the Lord causes all things to work together for his good for those who trust him. The Lord is allowing it for a reason, for strength to endure and for his glory. And, you know, you had referenced Job, and think what he went through. You know, he was pressed on all sides, but he endured. God allowed Satan to do all sorts of things to him, except to kill him. And it can be difficult, but these trials are also a strengthening of our endurance and teaching us to continue and push through in faith. That's what enduring to the end is about, standing strong in the faith. And I've personally heard in spirit, I'm strengthening you, stand strong in your faith. And Glinda... You know when we talked about this before, and oftentimes during these tests and trials, the Lord is silent at times. I mean, I've personally been through a slew of them over many months, so I get it, but you just got to continue to press in and onward. I agree. You know, another thing, listeners must also understand that many of us are being refined right now as well. You know, we're fixing to go home soon. So is it worth it? Absolutely. It's the Lord's promise of salvation. You know... We have a home for us waiting in heaven, and if it weren't so, the Lord would not have promised us, so we just got to hold on. And this is why I tell folks, don't put your hope in this world as it's falling apart. You have to remember, everyone, the Lord loves you regardless of the circumstances, as is also in Romans 8. And so remember his promises and don't lose heart. 
And this too is another reason why Glenda and myself talked about having a promise book because they really are helpful to refer to, especially when you're in need of God's promises in any situation or when you're in a pinch and you don't have a Bible in front of you. Because if you have a promise book, you can memorize it and it's, it's just easier to have those specific verses. You're not having to read through everything else to get to them. And while it won't take the place of reading the Bible, they condense specific verses, which can make them easier to remember for when you do need them. I'm going to get more into that in a little bit, but I'd like to read a word related to this, if I may. Absolutely. And let me mention also, I know I have at least one or two promise books in the Just Praise Him bookstore online. And I, do you have any in yours on your site, Ray? I don't have any specifics on my site. However, when I, it seems to me I might have at one time put one up or linked to one that I bought. I bought one for Kindle called um, God's Promises for Your Every Need, but there's a lot of them out there and all, a lot of them have five stars. You just have to go on Amazon and they're pretty, they're reasonable in cost. They're, a lot of them aren't even $10. So, I mean, it's yeah, very, they're very reasonably, very reasonably priced. Yeah. And if you get them for Kindle, sometimes you can get them for like $5. I don't even think I paid even $8 for the one I have. I just got it as a download, but you can get them on paperback. There's different ways. And um, I, I will link to the one I have if I can uh, locate it. There's probably there's several others that have come out since then. So, Glenda, going back to um, the message I wanted to read titled So Weary, and you initially posted this one on June 19th, 2016. I know your hearts are weary, children. I know you have grown tired of the wicked world in which you live. I know you long for home here with me, and that is coming very soon for some of you later for others, but you must endure for a while longer for me. There are so many in the world who do not know me and believe they have no need of me, and soon it will be too late for them. I must work through you to touch as many of them as I can, to offer them salvation one more time, a chance to escape what awaits them otherwise. If you will continue my work in the earth, if you will remain faithful to me, if you will keep walking with me in this time of weariness, I will bless you again and again. I will answer prayers you have waited years to see answers to. I will grant ministries, healings, and miracles to you if you will endure for me. Hold on for me, children. That glorious day is coming when you shall be free of all the wickedness of the world, and you will never again feel the weariness you feel now. And then uh, some verses you referenced here, Glenda, Psalm 119.28. My soul melteth for heaviness. Strengthen thou me according unto thy word. Isaiah 40, verses 29 through 31, he giveth power to the faint, and to them that have no might, he increases strength. Verse 30, even the youth shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength, they shall mount up with wings as eagles, they shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not grow faint. Galatians 6, 9, one more, and let us not be weary in well-doing. For in due season, we shall reap, if we faint not. So then, Glenda, you had another one titled Weary in Itself, which is also very pertinent as to what we're going to present. And I would like to read that too. My people are growing weary in the world as it spirals into an abyss of sin. The world grows more obstinate against you by the day. My children, find your strength in me, for you will grow far more weary before I call you home to me. My enemy is doing everything he can to discourage your faith and to launch attacks on you through others around you. This will only intensify as more events happen around you. You must be strong in your faith, 
to resist these attacks and not become discouraged to the point you want to give up and turn away from me. My servant David also felt discouragement as he was pursued through the wilderness again and again, as others near him betrayed him and tried to kill him or take his kingdom. But he encouraged himself in me. He worshipped and found his joy in me. I desire you would do the same. I desire you would counter these attacks by turning to me for strength, for encouragement, always remembering the world is not your real home. Your real home is here with me, and here is joy forevermore. And Glinda, you uh, quoted Daniel 7.25 at the beginning, I believe, but Isaiah 41.10, Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee, yea, I will help thee, yea. I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. John 16.33, These things I have spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Joshua 1 verse 9, Have I not commanded thee? Be strong and of a good courage. Be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed. For the Lord thy God is with thee, whithsoever thou goest. Psalm 34.4, I sought the Lord, and he heard me, and delivered me from all my fears. And you referenced uh, 1 Samuel 30 in regards to David, and starting on verse 5, And David's two wives were taken captives, Anoam, the Jezreelites, and Abigail, the wife of Nabal, the Carmelite. Verse 6, And David was greatly distressed, for the people spake of stoning him, because the soul of all people was grieved, every man for his sons and for his daughters. But David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. So that message... I just read mentioned the Lord's servant, King David. Think about when he was running from King Saul. If he had no fight in him, he would have lost. He was already crowned a king and would have lost the kingdom. I cannot even imagine how David felt when he was on the run from King Saul, especially since he did nothing to deserve the persecution except be excellent in all he did. We don't know for sure how long David had to run from Saul. Scholars put the time period at about seven years but we cannot verify that in scripture, so we don't know. But if it was even one year, one year of running, hiding in caves, missing everything about home, not knowing if you're going to lose everything you have, one year would feel like a lifetime. But here's the key, and this is the takeaway from the story of Saul and David. David was in training to be the greatest warrior king on earth until Jesus. All those years were training him to seclude himself, to live outside of civilization when needed, for however long it was needed, to fight unfair battles and win, and most of all, to depend on the Lord for his strength and his victories. Amen. And strength in the Lord and trusting his promises to overcome versus fear and worry. And remember that worry and fear wears us down. You know, a nation is made of people, and if people are feeling fearful or worried all the time, then they're becoming convinced that they're already defeated. And if that's the case, there's going to be no fight left in them spiritually. And this is crucial because we as Christians are in a spiritual war. So what are some verses in regards to fear? There were many, but I'm going to go over a few of them. For starters, Jesus told us, quoting John 14, 27, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. So let's look at some other verses as they relate to fear. Isaiah 41.10 Fear not, 
for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Note, God does not say, maybe I will hold you up. He will hold you up with his righteous right hand. Proverbs 29, verse 25, the fear of man brings a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord shall be safe. Let's look at some Psalms. You know, Psalms, they're great verses to study and quote aloud, especially when you're feeling apprehensive about almost anything. Psalm 9.9, the Lord is a shelter for the oppressed, a refuge in times of trouble. Psalm 16, verse 8 through 10, I know the Lord is always with me. I will not be shaken, for he is right beside me. No wonder my heart is glad and I rejoice. My body rests in safety. For you will not leave my soul among the dead or allow your Holy One to rot in the grave. Psalm 18, verses 2 through 6, The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my Savior. My God is my rock, in whom I find protection. He is my shield, the power that saves me, my place of safety. And by the way, I've mentioned this before, Psalm 18 is one that I keep in my decree book because that's one that I like to say out loud. Verse 3, I called on the Lord, who is worthy of praise, and he saved me from my enemies. The ropes of death entangled me. Floods of destruction swept over me. The grave wrapped its ropes around me. Death laid a trap in my path. But in my distress, I cried out to the Lord. Yes, I prayed to my God for help. He heard me from his sanctuary. My cry to him reached his ears. Psalm 23, 4. Even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid, for you are close beside me. Your rod and staff protect and comfort me. Psalm 28, verses 7 through 8. The Lord is my strength and shield. I trust him with all my heart. He helps me and my heart is filled with joy. I burst out in songs of thanksgiving. Verse 8. The Lord gives his people strength. He is a safe fortress for his anointed king. Remember King David? Psalm 34, verses 4 through 7. I prayed to the Lord and he answered me. He freed me from all my fears. Those who look to him for help will be radiant with joy. No shadow of shame will darken their faces. In my desperation I prayed, and the Lord listened. He saved me from all my troubles. For the angel of the Lord is a guard. He surrounds and defends all who fear him. And then verse 18, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. And then two more, Psalm forty-nine, fifteen. But as for me, God will redeem my life. He will snatch me from the power of the grave. You know, that could go, you could say that verse right there goes in line with Psalm 91. No disease shall come near my home, you know. Psalm 56, 3. But when I am afraid, I will put my trust in you. So, there's nothing to fear if our trust is in Jesus. And let's talk about worry. Worry is another way the enemy tries to steal our peace. If you allow it to enough, you make it to a point where you let the enemy win. Don't let him convince you to give up. You know, in fact, Glinda, there's another word you had, and it's called do not let him convince you, and I'd like to read that one as well. And uh, you posted this on March 19th, 2020. More plagues are coming, and not only in judgments. There will be some created by men, inspired by the evil one, designed to take control. The evil one aspires to control all the world so he can eradicate all that is of me. You must set your hearts to understand and do all you can to prevent this, that you may witness to others for longer. In time, he will appear to have won for a short while. Then the end of all things comes, and I will destroy him and all those who help him. Whatever you see, 
do not let the evil one convince you it was me. He has a plan to blame all that is evil on me, the one true God. He will be convincing, and those who do not know me will believe him and lose their souls. Be aware. That goes to say right there, that's, that, that's already been starting. Going on in this message, you will see many lose their lives in times to come, and at times, they will be those you love. Do not let him convince you it was me, or my will. If you know me, you will know I take no pleasure in the death of my saints. So, it's easy to get caught up in worry, and then blame God on top of it. Because of the nonstop bad news, you know, morale is far down, and it can seem that there's no hope. And there isn't if you keep looking at the world. So let's look at some verses on worry. Matthew 6, verse 27. Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? Matthew 6, 34. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient is the day for its own trouble. That's exactly what you were saying earlier. Matthew eleven twenty-eight. All you who labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. And then I'm going to read Luke 10, 38-42. Now it happened, as they went, that he entered a certain village, and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. And Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things. But one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen that good part, which will not be taken away from her. You know, in other words, Mary didn't need to be worried because she had faith. You know, she wasn't concerned with the things that don't matter. If our faith is grounded in Jesus, there is nothing to worry about or fear. Let's look at a few from the book of Proverbs. Proverbs one thirty three, But whoever listens to me will dwell safely and will be secure without fear of evil. This is key. If we're listening to the enemy's lies and the noise of the world, how can we hear the Lord accurately? How can we then be secure and without fear of evil. Proverbs 3, verses 5 through 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. Now that said, it's important that I contrast the difference between assurance for true believers versus the judgments we so often talk about. The judgments we are presenting in this series apply to those who continue to flagrantly disregard the Lord and mock those who serve him. To do so, you may as well be mocking Jesus, and in effect you are, therefore refusing him and what he did on the cross for all of us. By mocking, you are calling God a liar and disregarding the truth of why he sent his son as the one and only sacrifice for our sins. And there's consequences for that. Yeah, there are. Big ones. Uh, Yeah. Hebrews 10.31, Glenda. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. So, that's not to be taken lightly. Remember that the good news is for everyone. As the word declares in Romans 
So write that down, Romans 15, 7 through 13, if you want to go look at reference those verses. So long as you are abiding in the Lord, you have nothing to fear or worry about. It's when you're not living correctly and need to actively repent, you need to be concerned. And rightly so. You know, that's what Bible prophecy is meant to do. Many come to accept the good news and will be doing so more and more as the times get darker. So I felt it important to mention that before we go on to our next part, which is repentance. Do you remember when Jesus was hung on the cross? There were two criminals hung next to him. One was a thief dying next to Jesus and thought at first he was too far gone. And let's reference that from Luke 23, verses 39 through 43. Then one of the criminals who were hanged blasphemed him, saying, If you are the Christ, save yourself and us. But the other, answering, rebuked him, saying, Do you not even fear God, seeing you are under the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due rewards of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. So you see, while that man who was a thief was taking his last breath, he asked Jesus to save him, which then the Lord said, you will be in paradise. Why? Because he acknowledged his sin, accepted Jesus in his heart, acknowledging him as Lord. Now, obviously, you don't want to wait until the very last minute when you're dying to accept the Lord. And this is one of the reasons we speak to you today, because many as it is are going to be taken because they wouldn't repent or call on Jesus as Lord. With the coming judgments, which Glinda and I have presented many times now, they will come quickly, and you want to make sure you know who you belong to. And this is why it's crucial to be on the righteous path now and stand strong against the enemy's wiles against you. You know, when Jesus died on the cross and was risen, he overcame the world, and all who accept the testimony of Jesus believe him and continue to walk in faith. And they will overcome any of the circumstances coming about in any season. Even if you lose your life in what comes, you will have saved your soul by accepting salvation. Jesus gave the following promise just as he gave the thief hanging next to him on the cross that he would be in paradise with him. John 16.33 These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Let's look at another promise as it pertains. 2 Timothy 2.12 If we endure, that is, the hardships, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. That denying is what I spoke to a moment ago. But the key takeaway is enduring the hardships, especially going forward. Now, let's talk about being healed from sin and used for God's glory. And Glenda, I believe you spoke to this at the beginning of the episode, but many think they're too far gone. And like I said about the thief, it's not too late while you're still drawing breath, but you have to make that decision now. Where it comes to being healed from a sin, you can be forgiven and given new life in Jesus, even if you think you're too far gone. Ladies and gentlemen, let me tell you, if it were not possible, Glinda and myself would not be sitting here talking to you today, all right? Amen. And speaking of someone else who thought they could never be healed and forgiven and used for God's kingdom, we look at Paul, who later became an apostle. You know, Glinda, and he, like, and he used to kill Christians for a living. Right. You know, Glinda, I've recently found an article titled, Why Did God Let Paul Become a Murderer? 
And this is an excerpt written by John Piper of DesiringGod.org. And there are six points to mention here. The first two are explicit in the biblical text. The last four are clear inferences to the first two. Why did God let Paul murder? Why did he allow Paul to treat other Christians horribly at first? Number one, to put the perfect patience of Christ on display. According to 1 Timothy 1.16, I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience. Point number two, to encourage those who think they are too sinful to have hope. 1 Timothy 1 verse 16, again, I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. Point three, to show that God saves hardened haters of Christ who have even murdered Christians. Point four, to show that God permits his much-loved elect to sink into flagrant wickedness. Point five, to show that God can make the chief of sinners the chief of missionaries. And point six, to show a powerless, persecuted, marginalized church that they can triumph by the supernatural conversion of their most powerful foes. So Paul might have thought that he was too far gone. He was persecuting and killing Christians, but God destined who he would be, just like he did the rest of us, so that his presence would shine through us to save others and demonstrate his glory. You know, there are so many testimonies of people who were once some of the worst sinners, and they were redeemed by the blood of the Lamb and have found new life in Christ, and it changed them into a completely new person. And that's what happens when you accept Jesus into your heart, because he changes you by performing a spiritual circumcision and cutting out the dead parts and renewing you. You know, it's all about accepting him and believing him, not just believing in him. He will meet you where you are and refine out the impurities. You just have to call on him. Aside from getting to know the love of Jesus by studying the book of John, I'd like anyone listening to study Matthew chapter 9. This is your homework. There are several examples of Jesus' healing, ranging from a woman caught in the sin of adultery to a man who was paralyzed. Jesus forgave their sins and healed them all. We get to know our Savior and let go of these things that will slip us up, as Paul referenced in Hebrews 12.1. And we hold on to our faith no matter what storms we face. It's all about running the race, my friends, and I've done it, Glenda's done it, you too can do it. That is for sure. Speaking of repentance, what if Judas had repented? It would not have been impossible. He was a regular person just like us. And please understand, I'm not defending what he did in any way whatsoever. I would never defend any part of what he did. I'm just saying if anybody was too far gone to save, I would think it would have been him. And Matthew 27.3 says Judas repented himself. Since there is no indication he repented to God, I assume that means he felt remorse for selling Jesus out to be crucified. He tried to give the silver pieces back, and possibly he wanted to repent but felt like he was too far gone, so he went out and hanged himself instead. Maybe Judas wanted to repent but didn't, but what if he had? He felt remorse after the spirit of Satan left him. And see, this is what happens. A demon attaches to you, does its dirty work, and then its assignment is complete, then it leaves you. And when it leaves you, then you're like, oh, what did I just do? So he felt remorse after the spirit of Satan left him, but committed suicide instead of repenting to God. 
imagine what his testimony could have been, but he chose to end his life instead. And, you know, at that point, he probably had no friends left. He had walked with the disciples for three years and had been away from everyone else that he knew most likely. So I doubt there was anyone to ask for counsel because the disciples probably didn't really want to talk to him just then. Anyway, I'm just saying, what if he had repented instead of assuming he was too far gone to be saved? And could so many people feeling like they are too far gone to be saved be a spirit of Judas that showed up in the end times now? If it is, it can be cast out in the name of, of Jesus of Nazareth. You know, it most certainly would have been a very powerful testimony. You know, on that point, Glenda, when it comes to repenting, there is suffering involved when it comes to putting to death the deeds of the flesh. But it's important to remember, there's no shame in suffering for being a Christian. And as the old saying goes, no pain, no gain. You know, this means leaving behind worldly sins and worldly acquaintances. And you know, if you're suffering while you're repenting, that's because you're dying to your flesh. Remember, you have not given your life as Jesus did and never sinned. Amen. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 8-10 through 10, We are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. Remember how I said earlier, he shines through us? 1 Peter 4, 12-19 Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened to you, but rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you, for the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part, he is blasphemed, but on your part, he is glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or as a busybody in other people's matters. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? Now, if the righteous one is scarcely saved, where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? That verse right there, verse 18, is important to recognize, especially as it applies to what I said earlier when I was contrasting the difference. Going on in verse 19, Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good, as to a faithful creator. Amen and amen. So let's look at some practical advice. What should you do if you are weary now? Number one, David encouraged himself in the Lord. And I think you could do something like reading Psalms aloud, like uh, Ray said earlier, because you really can encourage yourself in the Psalms. You can remind yourself and the Lord by doing it out loud of all the times he's come through for you. That's something that I, I do those two things when I get really, really down. I'll read the Psalms, like especially if I'm afraid, if I get real afraid of something. First, I'll cast out the spirit of fear, and then I'll do that. And I'll remind myself of all the times that God came through for me, or I will pray and say, Lord, remember when you did this? I know you're going to do something in this situation, too. Another thing you can do is let your closest friends know if you need to be encouraged. If you're really, 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 really down, let them know, hey, I could sure use some encouragement today. 
And another thing you can do is sit down with a wise friend, with your pastor, or with somebody you know can advise you properly from a Christian viewpoint and kind of lay out what's making you so weary and get a second set of eyes on the problem. They may not be as bad as you think they are, the problems. Amen. I agree with that, Glenda. And, you know, it helps to have support. And this is why I have talked extensively about doing right. Sometimes all someone needs is just to be lifted up. And it's a shame how many people play the avoidance games. And, you know, if we're Christian, we need to not be doing that. There is too much of that going on. You know, to quote Galatians 6, 1 through 3, Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path and be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. Share each other's burdens and in this way, obey the law of Christ. So, I mean, it, it wouldn't say obey the law of Christ if we're not supposed to do that. Verse 3, if you think you are too important to help someone, you are only fooling yourself. You are not that important. If you know Jesus, you should be doing that. And if you don't know Jesus and would like to receive him as your Lord and Savior, there are some verses I'd like to quote that you must know. And Romans 3 is a good place to start for those who feel they are too far gone, as we've been talking about in the few biblical examples we gave earlier. But starting on verse 23, for everyone has sinned, we all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life shedding his blood. This sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past. For he was looking ahead and including them in what he would do in this present time. Y'all remember what I just said earlier when I was talking about Paul? That's exactly what that means. And it stands for many of us. You know, God allowed him to sink to a low in order to demonstrate his righteousness later on. For he himself is fair and just. And he makes sinners right in his sight when they believe in Jesus. But going on in verse 27, can we boast then? that we have done anything to be accepted by God. No, because our acquittal is not based on obeying the law, it is based on faith. There is only one God, and he makes people right with himself by faith, whether they are Jews or Gentiles. Romans 5, 6-9 When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Now most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. And, you know, on the sins that we were talking about, or that we have mentioned before, Romans 6, verses 16 through 23, don't you realize that you become the slave of whatever you choose to obey? You can be a slave to sin, which leads to death, or you can choose to obey God, which leads to righteous living. Thank God, whereas once you were slaves of sin, but now you wholeheartedly obey this teaching we have given to you. Now you are free from your slavery to sin, and you have become slaves to righteous living. Because of the weakness of your human nature, I am using this illustration of slavery to help you understand all this. Previously, you let yourselves be slaves to impurity and lawlessness, which led ever deeper into sin. 
Now you must give yourselves to be slaves to righteous living so that you will become holy. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the obligation to do right. And what was the result? You are now ashamed of the things you used to do, things that end in eternal doom. But now you are free from the power of sin and have become slaves of God. Now you do those things that lead to holiness and result in eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. And remember earlier I said that, you know, you become a new person because he cuts out the dead parts. That's the sin which, you know, caused you to die. He cuts those out and renews life in you. Romans 10, 9 through 11. And this is key. These are the key verses. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God, and it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. John 3.16 For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. 1 Corinthians 15.2-4 It is this good news that saves you if you continue to believe the message I told you. Unless, of course, you believe something that was never true in the first place. You might remember that what I said earlier about accepting him and continuing to believe him, not just in him. Because there's many who say they believe in him, but then they continue to listen to wrong teachings. And then that leads them astray. And then that's when they come off the rails. But 1 Corinthians 15 verse 3, I passed on to you what was most important and what had also been passed on to me. Christ died for our sins, just as the scripture said. He was buried, and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scripture said. And then 1 Peter 2, verses 2 through 3. Like newborn babies, you must crave pure spiritual milk, so that you will grow into a full experience of salvation. Cry out for this nourishment, now that you have had a taste of the Lord's kindness. If you have never accepted Jesus as your Savior, as the Lord of your life, You can do that right now by just telling him you do believe he is the risen son of God and you would like him to change your life. If you do that, he will come into your heart and you will never be the same in a good way. If you want to accept Jesus, just repeat after me. Lord Jesus, I choose you. I do believe you are the son of God who died on the cross at Calvary for my sins and rose again from the dead. Please save me. Change my heart. Change my life. Give me something better than what I have today. I will do my best to follow you. If you just prayed that prayer, I want to be the first to welcome you into the worldwide family of God. We are a big family. Heaven is now your real home. The next step is to start learning about the Lord through listening to sermons, listening to the Bible, reading the Bible. If you don't have a Bible of your own, most churches have extra ones and some organizations give them away. I think Gideon still does. American Bible Society does, I think, in Salvation Army, I'm almost sure does. If you can buy one, a study Bible is one of the best investments you can make. The best way to choose a Bible is to look online because there's a lot of different translations where they took the original Hebrew and um, Greek and Aramaic and they translated it into English. There's not always a direct uh, translation for each word, but they put them into Old English, which is the King James, and they put them into more contemporary English. There's a lot of translations in between. But if you go to christianbook.com online, you can compare translations 
and read what the same verse reads like in a different translation and see which one is the easiest for you to read. Or you can do it at a Christian Bible store or a Christian bookstore. You can do it at a Christian bookstore. The best Bible is the one you will read. There are many translations. Study Bibles have footnotes and extra articles to help you understand what you are reading. You can also Google if you don't understand a verse. Just type in your question. Example, what does Hebrews 11 verse 1 mean? And it will pull up some meanings for you. The Old Testament is biblical history and stories prior to the birth of Jesus. The New Testament is from his birth onward, ending with the book of Revelation, which is about the end of the world. Yes. And on a final note, Glenda, I just want to encourage new followers of Jesus on this one point laid out by James, because this is key in moving forward in the rest of the series that we're going to be talking about uh, when we start to speak to God's judgments. When you start reading that word, you must do what it says. You want to be a follower of the word and abiding in the Lord. James 1.22 says, but don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you are only fooling yourselves. You want to be a doer of the word, not a hearer only, because when the judgments accelerate, which they already are, and this is what we're talking about in the series, and things begin to feel like it's more than you can take, you want to know where you stand with the Lord. You want to be abiding in him. And he's going to have mercy on those who are new believers, but you want to start getting yourself ready. Like I said, you don't want to be waiting until you're taking your last breath if you can help it. You certainly don't want to fit in where the mockers are concerned. You know, Acts 13, verses 40 through 41 are pretty clear. Be careful. Don't let the prophet's words apply to you. For they said, look, you mockers, be amazed and die. For I'm doing something in your own day, something you wouldn't believe even if someone told you about it. My friends, don't be one of those who are amazed and die. Don't let that be you. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Repent of your sins and call on him with an honest heart. You'll be glad you did. Stand strong in your faith and don't give up. Remember, we endure until the end. You know, that said, Glinda, thank you so much for having me here today. You know, it's my prayer that anyone without hope at this time has gotten something out of this podcast. Thank you for being here, Ray, and sharing your knowledge and ideas with the listeners. We pray that this podcast has blessed you in some way, hopefully in a big way. And if you were not a believer, we hope that you are now. If you were feeling hopeless, we pray you now have hope. May the Lord our God walk you bravely and confidently into whatever your future holds. Jesus bless you. Thanks for listening. Y'all have a great week. Thank you so much for tuning in today to Just Praise Him Radio. You can contact me by mail at my new address, JPH Inc., Glenda Lomax, P.O. Box 60, Glencoe, Arkansas, 72539, or by email at jphtoday at gmail.com. JPH is not affiliated with any nonprofit organization, church, or denomination. Have you ever gone through a time in your life where suddenly it just felt like your whole life was falling apart? I call these experiences the wilderness experiences. Wilderness experiences are a time of great uncertainty and change. Uh, there are times when our faith is tried and refined. 
After many experiences, the Lord spoke to me to write The Wilderness Companion, which is a virtual roadmap through the desert times of your life. Find out why you've been led to the wilderness. Find out what the biggest hindrance is to receiving provision in the wilderness. Find out what the seven temptations of the wilderness are. Drastically cut the time you spend in the wilderness by learning how to partner with the Lord instead of working against Him. Every Christian needs to read The Wilderness Companion. It's by Glenda Lomax and it's available on Amazon.com or WingsOfProphecy.com. Amazon.com, The Wilderness Companion by Glenda Lomax. What is in store for the once great and mighty nation of America in these end times? What is the living God saying to the people of America now? What could possibly be in store for a nation that once trusted in God, but has changed its path from following in the living God's ways to now removing Him from everything and walking the other way? In the book, No Longer Mind, you will find all the messages to America collected in one place in chronological order. No Longer Mind, Messages to an Unrepentant Nation is now available in print at wingsofprophecy.com in the bookstore tab. Get your copy of No Longer Mind today. If you ask anyone you know what the most difficult experience of their life has been, many will answer about a time of betrayal. All those called to walk the narrow path will at some point encounter Judas. How will you respond? Do you know how to recognize Judas when he shows up in your life? Can you keep Judas from bringing destruction to your life and ministry? How can you minimize what Judas costs you? Can you pass the test of absolute betrayal? Get your copy of The Judas Test, available in print and new audiobook. The Judas Test by Glenda Lomax, available now on Amazon.com. Sold out for 30 pieces of silver? In Exodus 21:32, it is the price of a dead slave. In Leviticus 27, 2-7, it is the price of a live one. Jesus was sold for the price of a bondservant. Precious Jesus, the Son of God, the Prince of Peace, the King of Kings, why did Judas sell his friend out so cheap?